0: Welcome to another episode of Human Becomings. Today, I have Gia Guterres with me. She is the Program and Operations Manager, Assistant to the Dean at University of Wisconsin Parkside. Welcome, Gia. Thank you. Thank you, Mila. It's a pleasure. It is such an honor to have you on. Well, Gia and I, we met at Parkside, right? I feel like it was aeons ago. (laughs) <laughs> um, and um, I mean I didn't know how we met we just met at Site, I believe it was by student organizations
1: it, it, I think it was yeah through student organizations you were very involved on campus I was involved on campus so I think uh, at some point we must have just you know been able to interact and then we just went from there
0: right right so and I know that we have collaborated on a few pieces while being on campus and it was always empowering to see women, right? Mm-hmm. And I say women, all kinds of women, and especially POC, uh, women of color, to be exactly. and to exercise their right of speech, their freedom of speech, freedom to assemble. Everything comes into in plain right. right. And as women in a. a being engaged, let it be in the workforce, school force, wherever that you are in, in your society is such an imperative action to keep on fighting for our right and and that right can be aligned a bit when someone says she is not ready and that's the topic that we're going to cover today. She is not ready. This is such a common line or narrative that I keep on hearing, not just. the workspace but in schools even in student organizations when i was active on campus i've heard that that narrative she's not ready or I've heard it in even society right when someone is running for office what do Mm -hmm. you think she's not ready so let's dig a little bit deeper into that whole phrase which i'm so repulsed by (laughs) but let's dissect it so Gia, from your experience, have you heard that phrase being said to you or have you heard that being said to anyone else?
1: Well, you know, I think oftentimes if we're confronted with the statement, you know, she is not ready, I think it, it, it sets the frame that in order for you to be ready, you need to be able to meet this and this criteria. And that puts such a huge level of of stress and 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 weight on the person to 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 want to meet that right to want to meet that so that you are at some point ready. And so I think going through a transition from in the beginning of my my undergrad experience, I think sometimes even ourselves we may think we're not ready. I don't know if you're familiar with the imposter syndrome, but even you know breaking down some of the ideas that. We're not sure that we're even ready because we're in a space that isn't set up to to accommodate for you know POC, and then from there being able to build on the idea that no, that you are ready and that you are in the right place to 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 be ready. And so, in my experience, it hasn't been so much that I, I haven't been that I've been confronted with the idea that I, I've not been ready. Uh, but when I was confronted with that, it was at the at the point in my life where I was looking to gain higher education, and that came from me, not so much that someone right away kind of stated that that it, I wasn't ready, but it was having myself, you know, reflect on my experience and question whether or not I was ready. I think in, in thinking back in my professional career in aspects where it could have also come up is in whether it's in between transitioning of, of, of different fields of work, you know, that uh, you may think in your, you, you go through the traditional, you know, search and screen of of going through an interview process and they're looking through your qualifications and through making sure that you meet all the requirements for that specific job. I think definitely uh, I'd be definitely, you know, could have been that contender that was not ready, maybe because I didn't have the required needed education or experience in the background, or maybe I wasn't the right color, right? Maybe I wasn't um, the right demographic that they were looking for. And so in that aspect, I think, uh, because I'm a woman of, I'm, I'm a Latina, I think we oftentimes are put in that category, even though we may certainly be ready for that new opportunity.
0: I love what you just said about the imposter syndrome, right? Let's yeah. talk a little bit about the imposter syndrome. Where does that actually stem from? Because it becomes a systemic issue. And when I say yeah. systemic issue, it can come from a plane of the self, and mm-hmm. come come from plane of themselves. Because there's yeah. always two planes uh, as to why people say she's not ready. Again, the imposter syndrome, and also. From the unconscious bias of others, so let's dig a little bit deeper into imposter syndrome. Uh, you mentioned about, you know, when you look at applying for something and you you feel that you're not qualified. And I recently read an article on Forbes where men men tend to apply for jobs even though they're not qualified or mm-hmm. not ready. Or yeah, or they know that they're not ready. They know that. They have got zero uh, knowledge about whatever the job required is for. They just apply it and the mindset is, I'm going to figure this out. Yeah. But women tend to hold, you know, I, I will earn up to it. I've done it before. But with I- doubt. It's <laughs> doubt.
1: Yeah. And um, whether it's doubt from ourselves or doubt from, like you said, systemic, right? Where yeah. we're, we're being constantly told perhaps that, we don't meet, you know, the requirement that we shouldn't ponder the idea of, of getting to that point of applying. And I, I think that's where the real issue stems from, too.
0: Right. So let's explore a little bit of this, you know, because the imposter syndrome is to, you know, comes from a lens of insecurities. And mm-hmm. I like to call that the first degree of fear. The lens of insecurities how have we been conditioned and when i say conditioned, the programming since we have been a child or which environments do we belong to which culture do we belong to when i say culture right. it's just not a singular culture because we are so localized right now i was born in a certain culture and then i lived in a different culture and i moved into a different culture which is yeah. a nuanced culture right so we are being programmed every part of our journey so let's talk about conditioning for a second how can we actually erase take micro actions to really shift that needle into eliminating that syndrome right imposter syndrome and letting go of i'm not ready yet into yes i can be ready i am becoming ready
1: Right. I think it has a lot to do with the transition, right? So when we're in, in the period of transition, I think uh, the those quick interactions, right, those those connections that you're making right away can right away kind of set the stage for whether or not you, you experience, you know, the imposter syndrome. Uh, I think some of it is definitely like culturally embedded as well. You know, we're talking about you know, breaking breaking some of the patterns that our our culture, whether you're coming from a, a society where there is a very specific norm for women or a very specific norm for men, and breaking that norm can oftentimes make you feel in question and doubt whether or not if what you're doing is 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 stepping so far away from what your tradition dictates, from what your society dictates for you to follow in pursuit of this new this new goal. And so I think that transition period can, can set the stage for you to really uh, visualize and, and make connections with others who are in those positions so that we break that cycle and we say, well, you know, through representation, I can see that, uh, yes, I may feel like an outcast or like an outsider or like I don't belong here, but at the end of the day, others are doing it as well and they're thriving and, you know, I need to be part of that community too. So it takes a, a, a mindset, right? And it takes some adjustment and that transition, I think is, is where you set that foundation to, to eliminate that, that imposter syndrome.
0: Beautifully put. And you mentioned something about, you know, I do not belong here. That really captivated my, my mm-hmm. mind frame right now. So I do not belong. I feel that in order to belong, we need to step into a mindset of acceptance. Yeah, uh, and acceptance can come from a plane of I, the self, and acceptance from a plane of them, where me, who is hiring or embracing or creating a space of belonging, have to accept whoever is coming in, especially from a plane of diversity, inclusion, mm-hmm. and belonging, right? Because right. we are so forward in progression where we want to build. A space of diversity, inclusion, and belonging, but we can't really tap onto belonging, diversity, and inclusion without really embracing acceptance and acceptance yeah. from two points of view, right? It has to be intentional, yeah. Right, right. Intentional acceptance, very well put. First of, first place is to acceptance of the self, right? And you mentioned about eliminating that that imposter syndrome, identifying with people who are doing stuff, you know, and mentorship comes into talk. Right. How can we cultivate mentorship um, from your perspective, you know, from a higher education perspective, how can we successfully intentionally consciously create mentorships to shift that acceptance of self?
1: I think at the end of the day, like if it's, when it comes to mentorship, one—if we're not doing it for ourselves, then who, right? And so it's very important to that when we are looking at mentorship and how to foster mentorship, one must be willing to be mentored, right? One must be uh, able to see the intrinsic value of mentorship, right? So you're what you're gaining out of this experience, um, and then from from mentorship, for those that have already being able to advance within, whether it's your career or a specific set of goal, um, being willing to give back. And so really captivating the, the intrinsic value of that, that notion that you are giving back to someone who uh, may have, you know, is experiencing doubt or may be feeling like they don't belong. That sense of being able to contribute to that person's life, I think that's really what's, what the key takeaway is. And so when it comes to fostering that and really beginning that conversation of mentoring, it's, it's knowing that not only are you making a difference, but if it's not you, then who, right?
0: I like that you say, if it's not you, then who, because it truly needs to start from us, right? And mm-hmm. everything that we, we do, like consciously, intentionally, I, I feel like it, it's so synonymous to even losing weight, right? If it's not me, who? Or or learning how to ride a bicycle or learning how to swim. Mm -hmm. No one is going to teach me how to uh, float if I am not religiously focusing on how am I going to float, right? It's intentional actions. And let's move on to a space of them, right? Creating a space of acceptance because acceptance is not just one-sided it's both-sided right when we are building a place of belonging uh, diversity inclusion you know, space of opportunities where we want others to belong right how can mm-hmm. we start by creating equity of acceptance well I
1: think for one like you said you know it's 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 embracing it's embracing ones um, let's say for example One's identity and embracing uh, and being knowledge, you know, knowledgeable about the space that we that we are uh, the platform that we may be in uh, to be able to provide that acceptance um, that equity and inclusion. Uh, I believe that depending on the 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 space where you are interacting. When, in my case, you know, with students, it's being able to uh, provide a space where not only do they know that. I can be you know myself around them but that they can be themselves around me and that uh, at the end of the day you know I work for them and I want for them to to know that uh, we are here for them essentially so it's it's a tricky it's a tricky concept because it is very it is movement almost right that a lot of workplaces and institutions are are looking to implement these practices that are, that really shouldn't be a, a practice, or shouldn't be you know something uh, that requires an initiative or movement, it should be innate, right? it should be something that is uh, natural. Uh, and so it, there's a lot of barriers to that that come into place that, that kind of interfere with a lot of the, the positive efforts that you could be pushing, whether it's through yourself or whether it's through a department or an institution. Uh, but when it comes to equity is, is knowing that you are providing a level playing field for them, you know, for that person, for that, uh, demographic, for that group of people. And so it's, it's a little complicated, it's a little complicated, but it starts from oneself. Like you said, you know, being able to accept and then be willing to accept others.
0: Right. Right. And I love what you just said, right. Um, having that identity by mm-hmm. like creating that space of, I want them to be them to be comfortable Mm -hmm. to be them with me and i want them to be whatever that you are at home or in different spaces come to the work or come to the school space right because i think a lot of the times people forget that everyone is an individual yeah individualism is such an asset that we often forget right we are not cookie cutters, right? You don't go into, we are not Starbucks cookies that you go to right. Starbucks and order pump, uh, one slice of pumpkin loaf, please. It, we are not the same slice of pumpkin, whatever you call it, loaf, bread. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we all do not taste the same. We all do not look the same. We all do not think the same, right? We do not speak the same. Everything is so different. I think the missing factor that a lot of people companies or schools or society or any form of community of practice what they're forgetting is embracing individualism and mm-hmm. once they embrace individualism in the form of skills and in the, in the form of knowledge in the form of whether you have a college degree whether you have an associate's degree whether or you have got a high school diploma we accept you for your individualistic characteristic you
1: can see past their own biases at that point you know and they, at that point the person might be ready you don't know, might be ready
0: <laughs> right right because like like you say that person might be ready when you keep on hearing the same words of you're not ready you can't do this no you're not good enough you can't speak properly um you know you're not this certain demographic, you keep on hearing no, 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 no. Your mind actually believes it exactly so unconsciously, it's, it's programmed at the back of it, right? right. So, what happens when you unconsciously program something? You're going to show up everywhere, right? It's going to show up in your identity, yeah. Because, even guess what, even in, in a school setting, when there's a discussion you will be afraid to speak out yeah you'll be afraid to voice out going to an interview you might not do your best because you you might overthink oh my god is this the right sort the wrong silence is
1: oneself yeah
0: yeah so i feel like to truly embrace one's identity is to really accept create a feel of this is a safe space, and I'm, I'm saying safe space. And often people take safe space in a really wrong, uh, really <laughs> to the extreme manner, right? People think mm-hmm. our safe, safe space is for weak people, mm-hmm. it's not for weak people, right? But I want to hear from you because what exactly, from your perspective, is a safe space, and how can we create a safe space?
1: I think it's it's embracing the differences right? It's embracing the differences and acknowledging that uh, we need to be able to not just have open spaces. Um, and then really, it, it there's a difference too when it comes to having a safe space. It implies that because it's a safe space that the people there who are in the nearby area of said, said safe space um, may have also the be able to you know, accept and be willing to provide that safe space but there's just so many different factors at play when it comes to you know safe spaces uh, you know whether we're talking about um, issues within uh, race, ethnicity, gender, uh, you know but nowadays it's just even a safe space to have a conversation about voicing one's opinions. And so uh, it's, it's almost about identifying safe people now to be able to have those conversations, right? Not, not necessarily in safe spaces because essentially every space should be a safe space. Like if anything, I would like instead a sign that says, this is not a safe space. And then this way I'd be happy to have an open conversation anywhere and everywhere else versus going ahead and posting a sign that says this is a safe space. No, I would, re- I would rather like the opposite. Does
0: that kind of make sense? Like... Yeah. No, I like what you just said about safe people, people being safe, right? I think that is not, I think that is such an imperative factor. Safe people are people who are open, right? Who are willing to have those discussions, who are willing to have those visionary mindset, visionary execution, who are willing to have those difficult conversations, mm-hmm. right? And safe people does not mean that I'm going to agree with whatever that you're saying. It's also about building that strong relationship despite mm-hmm. us disagreeing. Right. right. And that is one of the essence that we are forgetting in our space of work, space of schools, work, the space of any kind of community of practice. Because what happens is that just the political climate, for example, If someone disagrees with you, there's so much of microaggressions. Yeah. And microaggression works in so many different spaces and especially targeted when women voice out or women say something, right? Yeah. And I absolutely love that. Safe people are more open to having dialogues, Mm -hmm. difficult dialogues. -hmm. And accepting, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. So how in micro actions, right? In micro actions, execution, because we are moving towards a very inclusive space of diversity, belonging, and equity of acceptance. How can we consciously, and this is not even overnight (laughs) action, consciously, very micro actions how can we execute adopting that equity of acceptance
1: I mean when it comes to providing a space of equity of acceptance I think we it's about dialogue I think right so being able to have spaces for dialogue um, I think Building those connections, whether it's through uh, different departments or within your specific uh, place of work, um, having the dialogue. I mean, I often tell, I often think of uh, you know people who are in unfortunate situations in the workplace where they are victims of these microaggressions, and uh, I think they are one very very strong to be able to to work day by day, or be able to put up with those types of situations. Um, Building spaces of equity is not easy, I think, because especially for for women, for women who are in professional fields, uh, we are not only uh, trying to come above and really, you know, do our job to the fullest, but it's always uh, a variety of different factors that, can get in the way not just from us being able to move up within a specific position or whether we have to always validate the work that we do, validate our careers, who we are, and that we do deserve to be there. So building a spaces with equity is hard. And I think it's hard for someone to be in a space where you uh, have no control over you know, what, what goes on uh, and you're still able to keep your chin up and continue working there it would be very hard for me to be in a, in a work environment where I am constantly uh, subjected to microaggressions or things like that. Um, I would certainly wouldn't want to be at a place like that of employment, and, and so that, that's very challenging. It's very hard and very challenging to be put in that position, and uh, it, it's sad to, to, to know that uh, many people do go through that, you know, that, that do. And I, I was just recently at a conference And um, the workshop, which is very, very appropriate as well, was uh, called Breaking the Glass Ceiling for, uh, you know, women of color in in the higher ed, uh, you know, industry. And so it's very, there was a lot of women that shared their experiences and how they, like, again, how they have to keep validating themselves and uh, that, the work, hard work that they've been able to complete over their careers. And it's oftentimes, you know, the, the fact that they are not given the opportunity to move on or move up uh, as easily as others. And one of the main reasons is, like you had mentioned, because, you know, oftentimes men will just go for the position that's open without even thinking about it twice. And, uh, you know, women will second out themselves, will think about it much more, they'll think about all the different reasons as to why they may not get the job versus why they will get the job. And I I speak from my personal experience where it took a lot for me to be able to transition from my previous work because I am very passionate about what I do and the people that I interact with and the students that I serve, that it's hard for me to detach myself from that. And it takes a lot for me to take that leap. And so, uh, but I, I certainly think that as, as times are changing, I'd like to remain optimistic, but there's certainly a lot of work to be done there.
0: Right, but well, you bring up really valid points. And one of the points that you brought up was the glass ceiling, right? Yeah. Um, especially for women of color. And, mm-hmm. and it, it's no secret, it's, it, it, it is difficult and I've experienced it as well. And it is such a difficult glass to shatter. Mm-hmm. Because words like "she is not ready yet," mm-hmm. phrases like that is used. She's not ready yet, and it can come in the form of from other female managers as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah, but it could come from. It doesn't necessarily have to come from males. it could come from right.
0: as well. Because every every time I've heard that, or every time that has been told to me personally, came from another female, mm-hmm. and it's difficult for women of color who are trying to climb up the ladder it's not even a ladder climb up their journey climb up the hill or just continue on the journey it's so difficult when you have micro exclusions like mm-hmm. you're not ready yet or are you sure you want to apply for this um, mm-hmm. you do not have those qualifications you need to work on this before you apply for this Mm -hmm. i think the narrative needs to shift not just from women to be more empowered to apply but also Mm -hmm. from leadership who's sitting over the other side Mm -hmm. let it be male or female especially females right where we need to empower other females to be like you can apply for this because sometimes most of the time it comes from projection you're going to say something
1: yeah no for sure i think it's it's so one of, one of the takeaways from that session was of course you know always looking to prepare ourselves more right so when it comes to our professional experience if you are you know second outing yourself about that master's degree you know go for the master's degree if if you see that people are in that role are thriving and they're excelling and maybe they you know they have a PhD then go for the PhD so it's always being able to do as much as possible from our end when it comes to our our professional portfolio or our resume, our experience, really building ourselves up from there. And then it, another factor that was brought up was mentoring because uh, that's, that's an important way for us to get a different perspective and then be able to walk away. That's another another thing, because if you if you're in a position where you are not being given access to an opportunity to move up or you're constantly being shut down, being able to walk away and know that there will be other opportunities if you are still able to, you know, put in that passion and that effort. And so it that's that's crucial. And that and that's that's it's very challenging because. Again, in my personal experience, I'm going through you know graduate school and that, that seriously is very very challenging uh, to the point where you look I'll, I'll say, okay, well I'll take this semester off and I'll continue working the following semester. And it's, it was a very difficult like, idea to even come to the census because I, uh, it took a while before I had a chance to, to make the decision to go back to grad school. but uh, that's something that I, I always wanted to do. And it took for me to be in a leadership position to see uh, beyond me just wanting to do it, the value of me obtaining that credential, right? So if I do want to be able to move up, have to be able to put in that work myself, right? Have to be able to put out there. And so being able to, uh, if anything, yeah, just being able to walk away from that opportunity if there really isn't, you know, because I mean, some places are not going to provide maybe that opportunity. And so it's just being able to walk away and then really identifying a different area that you can invest your true passions and your work into it and where you're going to be valued.
0: I love I love that. Really important factor. Walk away. And walking away is not weakness. Walking away is actually courage mm-hmm. and acknowledging where your worth stands. Exactly. Because just because someone else is rejecting you does not mean that your value just dropped. Does not mean that you can't bring anything to the table, right? And women, especially, especially need to realize this and need to digest this to the truest form, but do not take it personally.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, our experiences shape us. We, we, we should be multifaceted, you know, where we are able to invest ourselves in different areas. I think it's very common that women, especially within higher ed, tend to wear multiple hats. And that's because, yeah, you know, we may be very, uh, you know, um, we pay our close attention to detail, you know, uh, we try to live up to that standard, right? And because we're constantly living up to that standard of of wanting to be in that place, we, we have to oftentimes take upon more. And so I think that that definitely is something that is transferable. And so it's just being able to just, yeah, being able to know one's worth and being able to say, you know what, I've contributed as much as I can in this role, but if I'm not given the chance to grow, like I'm out, right? And so being able to transition.
0: And that self-love. I feel Mm -hmm. like you need to love yourself first, uh, identify your threshold as well, like protect your mental health, protect your emotional health, because sometimes like fighting and you know taking it to personally can cause burnout. When I said burnout, it can be burnout of the mindset, right? And we do mm-hmm. not really look at it in a very uh, long term. We always tend to have a very myopic uh, mindset as to, oh my God, I got rejected. But we need to look at it from a multifaceted plane where how can we take care of our mindset? How can we take care of our mental health, our emotional health? Of course, Right. And maybe that is, I always believe that a no or a rejection or a challenge or a roadblock is actually an opportunity for us
1: mm-hmm.
0: to pivot. Like Ross says in France, pivot. Right. <laughs> and, you know, pivot as much as you want to find, like you said, your passion, mm-hmm. channel that energy. So, do you get, in closing what kind of advice do you have for women who are starting their career or in their mid-level career or women who are in their 40s or 50s that they want to embark on a new career or mothers coming back to work right what kind of advice would you give them that they are ready
1: well i mean i think as human beings, and I mean, in my personal experience, I think uh, I'd be lying if I said that I, I don't still sometimes feel like I'm not ready. Uh, but I think in the journey of discovering that you are ready, something important to to always uh, have is you know finding that true passion, and then just being able to allow yourself to to speak up and having a voice, really, uh, so that you're able to advocate for oneself. And I think that's something that's crucial. If we're not advocating for ourselves, nobody's going to be advocating for us. So, be able to uh, speak up and advocate for oneself. If you are thinking about doing a career shift, or if you're thinking about, um, you know, diving into an opportunity that you may be unqualified for, then I think it, it, it takes. Engaging in conversation with people who maybe are in that career, right? Uh, we talked about mentoring. You know, reach out to people who may have an idea of what that position may look like. You know, uh, enrich your life with more education if that's what it's going to take for you to be able to pursue a different experience. Um, so finding the opportunity for you to advocate for you for that chance, and if that takes for you to really uh, invest in yourself, then being willing to to do that and not not knowing that. Uh, once, you know, one door closes, that there isn't going to be another opportunity that may open. So just being open also to the uh, idea of potential rejection. And it, it, it takes a lot, right? It takes a lot. But I would say to that person, uh, it's going to get better. Just being able to advocate for yourself and uh, making those connections and being open to having those conversations.
0: Very well put to yeah, thank you for giving me your time, your mind, and your heart on human becomings. It's always such a pleasure to have such an empowering human like yourself.
1: Thank you, Mio. It's my pleasure, and I look forward to work continuing uh, intersecting and uh, connecting with you as life continues. Yes.